This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you are listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have Jaron on from Credley, and we're actually going to be talking about the topic uh, of the show is breaking down the characteristics of a COVID-era recruiting strategy. So we're going to be talking about a lot of different things, but this is going to be a really fun topic, and it's going to go fast. So, uh, Jaron, uh, introduce yourself and also introduce Credley to the audience. Yeah, absolutely, William. Appreciate you uh, having me on here. Sure. Um, I, I oversee uh, the experience at Credley, so I have a super fancy title of Chief Experience Officer, and like really that what title. that means. That's yeah, a right? cool title, yes. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, at the end of the day, what it means is uh, I oversee <laughs> anything that our customers are touching, uh, and so that primarily rolls up under product as well as customer success, but it can come in in a variety of different ways, even when you look at like training and development and, and educating the market about our solution. Uh, as far as Credly is concerned, Credly okay. is the world's largest network or marketplace of verified digital credentials. And so it's a lot of words, but what it means is that we work with the world's most recognized brands to document learning outcomes, achievements, anything that you do that an employer might care about in a way that is structured, it has context, and it has verification built right into it. You can promote those credentials anywhere you see fit online without sacrificing that context. So like, what does it mean to get certified in project management or as an HR professional? You can basically promote that online and with a single click, go back to a credential where you can see all the criteria and things that went into earning a credential. Oh, that's cool. I love that. And it's just an easy way for both the employees and candidates to be able to keep track of those things, uh, you know, and put them in places, maybe in LinkedIn, but outside of LinkedIn and, and other and other places. I love that. Um, all right, let's jump right into this because this is a, a meaty topic and, and uh, I can't wait to hear kind of your, your take because you're also, you know, dealing with a lot of customers yourself. And so you've got a, a lot of different inputs here. So let's just start with the characteristics of a COVID era recruiting strategy. Well, what are those kind of, uh, I want to say the, the legs of the stool, but what are those characteristics that you're seeing? You know, it's funny because everything has changed and yet nothing has changed as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, like our objectives are still the same, trying to identify the top talent, the best culture fit, but also hard skill, soft skill fit. And um, whether you're doing that uh, in a COVID era or not, uh, there's certain, you know, steps that go to in there. You have to know who to know, when to know them and time it just right in terms of where they're at in their career. Uh, and so when we look at um, both pre and post COVID era, a lot of times that means networking. It means uh, making sure that you have a dialogue or a conversation going uh, with groups. It's just that so happens that now you're going to see if there wasn't enough activity out on things like LinkedIn before a lot more of that, right? That, that what are the ways in which you can um, virtually stay connected or abreast with what someone is up to and ultimately find that right, you know, who's the connection that you should have or timing the connection that you already have. 
Does that make sense? Like those two uh, totally. big pieces? Totally, yeah. totally. So uh, the right time, the right message uh, to the right person, right? So yep. it sounds, it sounds simple. Uh, never simple. Uh, some companies do this better than others. And again, whether or not someone's active or whether or not they're passive doesn't necessarily matter because it still comes down to the timing on both parties. And mm-hmm. ultimately, I think your your uh, your probably next thing is is you're getting the fit. You're getting to the right or the most appropriate fit for both sides. Yep. And I think what's what's probably the biggest change then, if you look at that, because I think that was true before and after. Um, what I've noticed, or what we've seen some of our customers recognizing, is that those informal interactions, you know, those those things where you're maybe at a, an industry event or a conference, uh, you know, like the in-person gatherings that we had where you could um, kind of serendipitously uh, build out your network and better understand people, those aren't around uh, right now. And so that brings up kind of my point of like, what are the places where you can be networking in a more virtual fashion and, and start to, you know, find those connections that you once often had in, um, in face-to-face settings? Um, well, I love that by the way. So on Tuesday, uh, in the middle of March, we all had to go home and, uh, we had to learn how to hire from her as candidates. We had to learn how to interview, uh, from a home as hiring managers. We had to learn how to do that whole process. Uh, and then we also had to deal with whilst, whilst simultaneously dealing with remote work ourselves, but also remote workers, so of, of all of that stuff for you, what, what changed, you know, again, kind of the, 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 uh, the arrows in the quiver or, or the tools in the toolbox, like what changed for candidates, recruiters, hiring managers, any of the both when faced with that much change? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, what we've observed within Credly is that people are at home uh, and, and they have a little bit more time on their hand, yeah. uh, hands. And so we've actually been seeing a, a significant increase in learning and development, uh, that remote training and development, uh, the ability to, to jump in and find a new skill or um, maybe expand an existing skill has started to really skyrocket. And what that means is that now what we're using as signals within the marketplace, there are uh, you know, different ways in which you can tell your professional story. It's not reliant 100% on uh, the bullet points and the self-reported data, but there's a lot more like you can say, I've taken this many courses versus I have two years of experience doing something like this. Uh, so what I've seen as a big shift and, and what our customers have seen as a big shift is more more granularity, but more signals related to training and development versus experience and, and, and what we've often used as the academic degree as the proxies. Right. So I love this, by the way, uh, especially uh, the learning and development, training and development, skills development, uh, et cetera. You know, it was important pre-COVID. Uh, people, candidates were asking, you know, how are you going to, how are you going to make me better? How are you going to foster my development, et cetera? Uh, and now the questions are probably, you know, they're still there. They're still important, especially to, you know, millennials and Gen Z. Um, but now we have to do it a bit differently. So what have you seen kind of experiences, both for yourself, both for Credly, but also some of your customers where they've embraced, you know, maybe the person doesn't have the perfect skill set. You know, but but we know that a they have the desire to learn, and we can and we can train them. 
Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's trying to find uh, that that thing, that special it that someone has, whether that's grit, determination, but, you know, um, it, it is, I think, wholeheartedly true. People, uh, especially within knowledge working fields, were, need to be about an inch deep and a mile wide these days, right? Like they have to have a very broad set. I call it the plus one-itis. I need you to have a finance degree. Plus I need you to be good at data wrangling plus storytelling. Plus if you can do a little programming, that'd be great. Right. Like, like it's just the, the candidate that we have in our mind and the candidates out in the world don't often match up. And so I think you are seeing a little bit more of a, uh, a waiting system when doing that recruiting. Can we really like what, what, at the end of the day, let's prioritize some of these things. What are the things that we could live without? Or more importantly, what are the things that um, if the candidate doesn't have it on day one, we can develop over time, which I think is a totally different mindset than we've had in the past where you're expecting 10 years of experience and all those plus ones that I said, the, the plus one itis already uh, arriving to you or your doorstep. Um, so I think the shift is really around knowing what you can be, have compromises on uh, and, and embracing the idea that someone can upskill pretty quickly, especially with all the new tools and technologies that are out there. I love that. So what have you seen? Let's, uh, let's talk a little tactics. Um, when we think about the characteristics of a, of a COVID area recruiting strategy, tactically, what have you seen people, you know, again, try and fail, but just, you know, some of the things that they've tried differently than maybe they would have January of last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, you know, you're interviewing on a screen, uh, a lot of times, which that's that's a big shift, but (laughs) I think that that's, that's a positive as well. Um, is that, I mean, you can start to look at, you know, we always talk about removing biases uh, during the hiring process and, and using remote technologies, I think is impacted both positive and negative. But I do think that it's putting us in a position to remove even more biases uh, from that recruiting and that hiring process. Uh, uh, it depends on the industry and, and the employer, obviously, but I do believe that uh, having more of a focus on remote uh, and the remote technologies that go along with it uh, actually improve the way in which we can remove some of the biases in, that we have when going through the recruiting process. So that one steps out or jumps out at me the most. I would say the other is trying to take a little bit more of a data-driven approach. Uh, so in other words, trying to understand what are the candidates that you maybe have passed over in the past, but um, you know, might be a better fit for you based on what we were just talking about, about being able to upskill or reskill someone. And then replicating that. If you can demonstrate it once, pinging data into the equation so that you can replicate it more. So the two big ones I think are uh, the technologies, how are they reducing biases or quite frankly, introducing new ones that we didn't see before, because that very well could be a part of it. Uh, But then the other is the data-driven approach to it, um, really having to rely more on that than that kind of gut feel, face-to-face sort of interactions that you've had in the past. So what are you seeing and what do you think about the employer brand uh, part of recruiting and recruiting strategy where, you know, here we were January of last year and it was a candidate driven market and there was a lot of discussions around the candidate experience, employee experience. um, And we were talking a whole lot about employer brand. Uh, and then all of a sudden COVID and a recession hit and all the other things that happened in 2020, murder hornets, whatever. Um, what have you, what have you seen with your, with yourself, with Credly and also your customers from an employer brand perspective? You know, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the fastest growing segments for Credly is uh, organizations that want to credential their own employees. Uh, and I think hmm. a big driver behind that is because they want to influence that brand and basically say, you know, 
the day and age where you uh, get educated in, in an academic setting and then you go and get on the job training experience uh, from your employer, kind of, I would argue, ending. And we're actually seeing that employers are a significant source of training and development. They are kind of like the academic institution uh, of the future. And so um, when we talk about brand, being able to make sure that if you are upskilling, reskilling, reshaping your workforce, that you're documenting that, and then you're turning your employees into brand ambassadors. So these groups that are coming to us um, to issue credentials for their employees, part of it is, you know, it generates amazing marketing value for them to, to not have, you know, paid for brand impressions online, but to all of a sudden log into Twitter and see, you know, Jaron just got you know, upskilled from Credly uh, when it comes to his skills taxonomy mappings. Awesome. Like, Credly invest in their employees. That's a place that I want to work. What else does Credly give credentials for, train people for, and using that as a way to recruit, um, but also retain talent. I love that. Within the you know within the title of the show, it's uh, I do I'm curious about credentials, and where where in the recruiting process is, is that supposed to be? Where we, do we put that further out in the funnel, and we make sure that for a position that we know we need the credentials that we you know, we screen in and screen out, way out, or is it something that like reference checking? It's something that maybe we do further into the process. Like, what do, what have you seen, and what do you when you talk to customers? Where do you typically think credentialing is uh, is important for them to do? Where in the process? Yeah. So, I mean, historically speaking, I can say it was a compliance check. Uh, and right, it was, you know, at right. the end of the process, okay, we gone through the screening. Does this person really have maybe their PMP, their project management right. uh, certification out there? And it was really checking the box. They said they have it. Let's just make sure that they are. Um, and really, I think that does credentialing a disservice. Uh, credentialing, you know, is really, in my opinion, helping you identify who's the talent pool that's baseline competent. Uh, it's not going to tell you whether or not you can tolerate Jaren as an individual or whether or not Jaren is a good culture <laughs> fit, but it should, it should actually signal who's the person that can be proficient or, you know, leverage tools efficiently or understand the landscape of the role that we're asking them to take on. And so, uh, you know, a strong belief from Credly, our goal is to connect uh, individuals who have credentials to opportunities. In other words, based on those signals of credentials you have, what are the opportunities we can put in front of you? And I do believe that's going to create a shift in where credentials fit in that recruiting process. Um, you know, it should be, you should be starting with who has the project management certification for my project management role. And then within there, now is when I have to start to use more inefficient uh, tools to suss out whether or not we can, like I said, tolerate Jaron, it's a good cultural fit. He's gonna be able to bring other things to the table to, to help our organization grow. Does that distinction make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. It, it, are, there, are there certain industries or jobs where credentialing is uh, more, I say appropriate, that's not the right language, uh, more that you see more uh, in a particular job or industry? Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to answer that one because of the different <laughs> flavors of credentialing that are out there. Because you, you have like licensure, right? Which is you have to have this in order to be yeah. in that profession. You think of it from like a public safety standpoint, whether it's real estate license, a cosmetologist, a nurse, a doctor, so forth. And so, you know, those would be very credential heavy industries, I would argue. And it's very relevant. Um, but what we look at, I mean, the vast majority of credentials in our network are voluntary. So it's like, I, I want to learn something about blockchain or a new technology that's out there. Um, so we have a lot of traction within technology, 
But I believe that's because that's where the pace of change is really impacting us right now. Tools and technologies are changing so rapidly uh, that you need some level of signal. And that's not going to be working its way all the way into like an academic setting or a course where oftentimes you need an industry credential to, to bridge that gap between the changing technology and the skills needed to be efficient on the job. So, um, you know, credentialing, like I said, very much in the, the, the healthcare space and financial mm -hmm. industry, but where we see a bigger emphasis on it is within technology. It's a little bit of an unfair statement because technology we're seeing weaves its way into just about every other industry now as well. That's a good point. It's, uh, it's, 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 every, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Um, for the audience, what's the difference between credentialing, credentialing and skills testing? Hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, credentialing, the, the definition of a credential is a third-party claim about someone. Uh, and so, yes, you could use a skills assessment to credential someone, but you wouldn't necessarily have to. Uh, in other words, I can, we have groups that are giving out credentials for subject matter expertise, for uh, contributing to, say, a hackathon, um, things that, you know, send a signal to an employer, like you, you participate in a hackathon. Cool. I don't know what the output was, but that shows that maybe you're a self-starter, that you're interested in seeking out new opportunities, that you're okay operating in a state of uncertainty. Like, you can credential something that doesn't have a skills assessment in it and still get a signal out of it. It's, like a, it's a nuance, but I think it's a big difference there. Uh, skills is ideally credentialing would be in place that you'd have skill validation within that, but the two aren't one and the same. So uh, for a number of years, I was off in uh, wandering the desert of uh, user adoption. Um, and one of the things that you learn when you study that is user adoption is, mostly comes down to training and communications and change management, a couple other things. But um, one of the things that I did during that period is I would help people build certifications for their users. So software, you know, if you're using, you know, pick your favorite ATS, if you're using that, then then getting people over the hump of, of uh, certifying uh, their users to understand how to use and leverage, best leverage the technology. Do you see that more, or do you, first of all, A, do you agree with that <laughs> line of thinking, B, uh, and if so, do you see, or do you think that more software companies should do that for their users or do that with their users? Uh, so, um, a, yes, absolutely. User certification is still a big part of it. <clears throat> kind of emerged, you know, I would say all the way back to Novell uh, in the yeah. 80s and Good IT point. certifications where, That's you know, right. like they, they recognized that, they were, their sales were going down because there weren't enough trained people in the market to run it. So group enterprises would be spending millions of dollars on their software technology and then not be able to implement it, which created a huge issue for them uh, and their sales team. And so enter, you know, user adoption or, you know, user certifications to help bridge that gap, especially when academic institutions at the time were lagging in their ability to um, train on the newest software because quite frankly it was being invented on the spot that's nothing against academic institutions it was just the reality of where things were at um, so I am a huge believer in that we have a lot of uh, groups that do that on our platform but I, I believe in that for two reasons one is because it helps send the right signal to the market about you know again you can efficiently use the software I'm not saying you're good at it but you know where the buttons are and when to push them but the second is if I put on like the customer success hat that we get to wear uh, if, if the purpose of the software is to solve a business objective and the users don't know how to efficiently leverage it, you aren't going to get to that end state of solving business problems. And so um, we're seeing training and development, especially user training, 
as like a, a form of marketing, but also customer success and, and really making sure that groups are getting an ROI in the software that they're purchasing. So big fan of it. And part of probably why we're seeing uh, the amount of growth that we've seen over the last year or so. I love that. So for me, uh, recruiting kind of comes down to the three P's of people, you know, the way a team's organized, the processes, the th- thousands of little micro processes that under underneath uh, recruiting and also the product, the tech stack. Um, again, kind of breaking down the characteristics of a, of a, of a COVID era recruiting strategy. What have you, what have you seen in terms of a way I frame it, people, products, uh, and, and process, where have you seen kind of the changes or the most change, uh, during COVID? Well, I would say, I mean, when you're in the people business, you always got to start with people, right? Uh, right. and so I think people has been one, uh, because you have, you know, industries that uh, overnight almost kind of disappeared uh, to a certain degree or changed, fundamentally changed significantly where the skill makeup changed. Uh, and then you have, uh, you know, people that were hesitant really to make any sort of move uh, for a new career or a different career, given what was going on. I mean, there was a lot of survival and a lot of trying to survive and not thrive, I guess, last year. And so I, from my observation, people were just much less likely to jump in uh, to the talent pool and, and test the waters with a new employer. Um, and I think coming out of this now, you have the, the people side of it with the remote workforce. Uh, like it, this is the often a debated thing, but like, what is it gonna look like the office after mm-hmm. all this is said and done? And now, you know, like the cat's out of the bag, people can be productive, companies can still survive with an at-home workforce. What does that mean? And even if it's not the best thing for them, how does that play out? So. For me, I look at the people side of it, where you have, you know, new skills are required or industries that were shifted dramatically during it. You have um, the willingness to take on a new role in the state of uncertainty that everyone was experiencing. And then you have, um, last but certainly not least, like uh, these work from home. And what does that do to the global economy and where I want to work or what employers I want to pursue? I love that. So... The learns of COVID. So let's go into Credly and into customers. Uh, uh, what do you think we've learned from a from a recruiting strategy perspective? Again, we've been we're still in COVID, so technically we 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 are still learning. Uh, so it's not done yet. But what do you think that we've learned that will inform post COVID? I think we've learned that there can be, there's been undertones of this for a while, but I think we've learned that location um, can be removed as a driving force behind it, right? Like is location required? Do they have to be local or not? I think uh, we were seeing that trending in this direction, but it it accelerated significantly. So that's a big lesson learned. Uh, I think another one that comes to mind uh, would just be, like I said, missing that face-to-face, those serendipity. You have to be much more intentional about your networking now when mm-hmm. you don't have those opportunities uh, to let it happen for you through events and, and face-to-face meetings. Uh, and so I would say what we're finding is that top of funnel is even harder uh, and you have to be much more intentional about it, which that boils down to what we already t- touched on, which was branding and how you brand yourself and what are the differentiators. If you could, 
you can't, you know, leverage the free coffee anymore as a selling point for your organization. What are going to be the things and learning and development certainly seems to be a trend that we're seeing uh, on how to differentiate your organization during that recruiting process. You know, two questions last. Uh, the one is, is just as you touched on it is culture. Um, we've, we've often thought of culture as the office. We're probably going to be rethinking some of that as we go forward. What do you think, you know, as recruiters sell, I mean, that's one of the things we're doing. We're listening and we're obviously we're talking to candidates. We want to, want to make sure that there's a right match and a fit, but we are selling on some level and we've sold culture and the way that we've defined culture in the past. How do you, how do you think that again, during COVID, how do you think that, that we've learned how to sell culture differently? And, and also what do you think that that looks like in the future? Oh man, this, this is one that's near and dear to my heart. I mean, it is, the culture is hard when you can be in the same physical space, right? And you can use yeah. a bunch of the physical space to, to help drive and reinforce what you're looking for. I mean, so let's just kind of take a step back and say like, it was, it was hard before and it's so much harder now uh, right. and, and trying to understand work-life balance and, and when our office hours, when or not having those boundaries set up in place, but then also finding ways, honestly, to connect with people outside of a, a work meeting. In other words, one of the things that I've told my team and, and the things that I struggle with during all this is how transactional uh, it's become with our coworkers. You know, you're, you're always hopping on a call with the agenda that uh, in mind and an outcome in mind, and you don't have the water cooler, the get to know each other on a more personal level. You, again, have to be much more intentional about finding those ways to have informal meetings and gatherings. Our team, um, right before the Thanksgiving holiday here, we just kind of had like a, a, a get together informal and did breakout rooms. And it was, you know, probably one of the highlights the second half of last year was having that informal, no agenda chance just to connect with each other as humans and, and you know, just to continue to establish trust with one another and other things. So um, I'm getting a little long winded on this one, but I think, you know, culture is always hard and it always will be hard. Uh, now again, kind of like with some of the other stuff I've been saying, you got to be more intentional. And I think we just got to find ways to really bring uh, the humanness um, back to the workplace and, and finding those things with the right boundaries in place. You know, you don't want to have the other thing that you heard uh, perhaps, which is uh, I have yet another Zoom happy hour. That's the last thing I need right now or want right now. Like <laughs> <laughs> trying, to, trying to find that balance uh, with, with boundaries and, and also reading the room. But I, I don't have a great answer on that one because I just think culture is so hard to get right. And this has only made it harder. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and we're rethinking, everybody's rethinking it. The employees, candidates, the executives, everybody's rethinking kind of what is culture. Uh, and that's, that gets back to what you mentioned about remote work and the future of remote, the hybrid workforce, the hybrid workplace, all those things become a, a bit interesting. Um, brother, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for carving out time. Um, and uh, it was really interesting to learn a little bit obviously about credly but also there's just getting into the weeds of this topic so thank you so much i appreciate the time and uh really look forward to maybe chatting again soon absolutely and thanks for everyone that listening to the recruiting daily podcast until next time you've been listening to the recruiting live podcast by recruiting daily check out the latest industry podcasts webinars articles and news at recruitingdaily.com 